Thank you to Union Pacific for their generous support as a sponsor of the NHI Podcast Network. Mi tercera realidad, mi libertad. Mi tercera realidad no es vanidad. Un mundo mío es mi sueño. This is NHI Notables with Ernesto Nieto, recorded at the National Hispanic Institute in Maxwell, Texas. Well, I'm going to go ahead and start, Dino, because it's been a while since I've talked to you and just wanted to let you know that um, Julio and I had dinner last night with Nick Lopez, and he sent his best regards to you. And, That's awesome. And I haven't course, seen Nick in a while. I know. It's been years, and he's going to be a dad again, a second little boy, and living in Denver, and he wanted to show me his scorecard. He shot a 78. Oh my God! So I told him that we, you know, in my in my in my world, they say if you're a good golfer, you don't coach enough. I understand. I know. <laughs> and the only thing I told him, Tina, was uh, you failed to get the signatures of your partners right because there were no signatures on the card. <laughs> it only had his signature. It just his signature. So I said. Therefore, it may be a lie. You, there is no substantiation. <laughs> and there's no way that you yeah. can prove that you actually shot that score. So I left it at that, and we all laughed and had a great time. But thank you for being on this interview with uh, uh, our regular program. And I wanted to start with a question. And the question is, sure. I've known you since you were 14 years old. And many years have gone, have gone by. If you were to somehow summarize the sum total of your experiences with NHI, what would be the words that come to your mind that are representative of this journey you've had with us? Um, Life-changing would definitely be the first thing. A lot of self-reflection, a lot of friendship, a lot of love, uh, passion, I don't know, thought-provoking, those would be the top ones that come to my mind right now. You know, for the listening audience that may not know that Tino Villarreal has been associated with his organization for many years with the National Hispanic Institute. And the journey, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Tino started with the great debate. And maybe in those days, right. it was known, was it already known as the Young Leaders Conference or had we changed the name brand? No, it was still the Young Leaders Conference. Okay, so you started in Brownsville many years ago as a student at St. Joseph, and uh, you continued your involvement through your many years of volunteer service. That includes being a, a coach, that includes being a, a project administrator. That includes being an educational director for the National Hispanic Institute, and it includes also being a, a member of the of the trustees, a board member. And so um, I wanted to, first of all, thank you for all these years of service, Tina. It means a lot to us, and we know it's family, and we know that we have a good love for all of us. All of us are included in this journey, and I wanted to thank you. But I wanted to mostly concentrate on on on... Uh, the thing that I really wanted to visit with you on has to do more with football and your football experience okay. as a coach. And because I, I see, I saw you one day kind of not copy, but resemble the Bear Bryant 
experience when you brought a bunch of kids in two buses or three buses from Brownsville, St. Joe's over to the National Hispanic Institute, almost similar to the Junction Boys that that Bear Bryant did with the Texas A&M many years ago. And it became legendary in the transformation of those athletes. I wanted to find out what was the feedback you got from those students there. And then the other thing I wanted to find out, what impact do you think it's had on the obvious success that that school has enjoyed under your coaching relationship? Well, um, the immediate feedback from a lot of the kids, because we make them camp outside, you know, and so the, the immediate feedback from kids was, um, yeah, obviously they, they complained that there was no air conditioning and that they, uh, you know, didn't have all the basic necessities that, that you, they take for granted every day at home, like their own bed, showers, uh, things like that. But, uh, but deeper than that, I mean, obviously the kids, um, learn a little bit about, about me by learning a lot about the National Hispanic Institute and the grounds that we were on and, uh, and how sp the spiritual circle and, and, uh, the ranch house and the mansion and kind of the work and the transformative work that NHI does and how it's a moment for us to, to bond, to talk about what what our goals and expectations are to talk about the future of our athletic program to talk about the future of our football program um to talk about how we feel we're going to do this year what it, what it takes to be good asking yourself those tough questions that kids don't really sometimes get asked they just get thrown into um so the feedback has been phenomenal as you know every year we take more and more students up there so the the words gotten out um, there is like the, there is like the Junction Boys. I guess there's there's the Maxwell Boys. I mean, families know that every summer we're going to Maxwell. Families know that that we're going to take a bus up there and that we're going to spend three or four days and bond up at the National Hispanic Institute. Um, and it, it's had a it's had a, a big success for us because people look forward to it. It's where we get to establish. Our, our fundamental values and goals as a program. It's where we get to bond as a team and um, just share realities of life. You know, uh, I think the most important thing that, that resonates with me the most is when you, when I first took the team up there and you saw some of my football players and uh, I sat in your car and you're looking at them and you said, hey man, these guys don't look like they're ready to play a season. They don't look fit at all. You know, they got tiny arms, tiny legs. And and then you went out there and you asked them how they thought they were going to do that year and they all said, "Oh, we're going to go 10 and 0. We're going to win a championship." And uh and and just asking them a simple question of of I mean, have what price have you paid for that? What sacrifice have you made for that? Is that a realistic um, you know, kind of goal for yourself? And 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 kind of those questions and that that type of of perspective has has gone a long way for us. Um, I believe every year I take the kids up there, their arms look a little bigger and their legs look a little stronger. Yeah. And uh, and it reflects and it does reflect uh, obviously on our football field. But but everything starts there. Camp is a mandatory thing. Uh, we used to have to pull kids and pull teeth to get them out there, and now. 
you know, to this morning alone, I was at a breakfast and there was already parents asking me for those specific dates so they could reserve them because they know the importance of that camp. Well, you do much more for that, as I see, because I know the buses are gone a lot. And these are young boys, young men from a small town. I wouldn't call Brownsville a large city, would you? And uh, and they come to Big Austin, and I think you take them over to the UT campus, am I correct? You take them to the stadium? That's right. What's the purpose behind that? I'm just curious. I think one of the biggest things is um, you have to put kids in in an environment that allow them to dream. Being in a in a massive stadium that seats over a hundred thousand people and just taking a tour or being in the locker room of a division one of a premier division one um FBS school and just envisioning I'd love to have a locker here one day. I'd like to run out of this tunnel one day and play in front of a hundred thousand fans. I think that allows them to dream something much bigger than the first game of the season at Canales Field in Brownsville, Texas. And it gives them a, a bigger vision of what I would hope for them if if they're if they're serious uh athletes that that what we're doing here is is really uh it's not it's not just a football thing, it's a spiritual and a mental state of mind for them to to dream big about who they can become and what they can do. Um and what it's going to take to get there. I I noticed over the years, as you know, I've, I've gone to watch some of your games and just to be part of the spirit. And, and I'm the first to admit that um, sometimes, and, and, and looking at these kids play, they seem to give up at different points of the game. They seem to let up just at the right moment when they shouldn't be letting up. And sometimes they met disappointment. I don't see that now. I see them expecting to win and then having the resilience to muscle up, cure up, jaw up, whatever it takes for that emotional output, that psychological edge. What's brought on some of this transition? I know you and your staff have had a lot to do it, but what, what would you point to as key factors in the growth mentally and the mental toughness and what people have called intestinal fortitude? that make them winners? Well, winning is a state of mind and, and you have to see yourself winning. You know, I, I, uh, I always tell people the, you know, the free throw story where it's like, you know, you're, I'm a kid there, elementary, missing free throws, missing free throws, missing free throws. And a coach says, okay, don't shoot the ball. Just imagine that you're going to shoot the ball. Okay. Tell look at your form. Did you bounce the ball once? Did you bounce the ball twice? Um, go ahead and shoot and, 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 you know, close your eyes and imagine you're shooting. Okay. Good. Open your eyes. Did you make the shot? Uh, no, I didn't. And the coach starts laughing and says, man, if you can't even see yourself making the shot, you're never going to make the shot. And, and winning is an attitude. I mean, if you don't, if you don't feel that you have a right to be on that field with certain teams or that you uh that it is realistic that you're going to play for a state championship or you're going to you're going to be a district champion you're never going to really be one and 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 the correlation of the question you pose to us is great because well if you do want to do it 
then then what are the key components that you're going to have to answer in order to get there? You know, what what uh, what sacrifice are you going to have to make? And I ask my kids these questions all the time. So let's say you want to be a champion. Well, what sacrifices are you going to have to make? What skills and talents are you going to have to attain? Who are you going to have to do that with? What obstacles are you going to have to overcome? Those are four major questions, and when and 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 the and the fifth most important one is when you hit rock bottom, how do you overcome that moment? Because great teams have to be prepared to face adversity. That will happen in every single game, just like it happens to us in every part of our life. You will hit a point in your life where you think it's over, I'm down, I'm out. I'm done. And if you're not prepared to respond at that moment, you will get knocked down for a good while. It'll take you a a long time to get back up. And now for a quick break. The National Hispanic Institute is an organization with a 37-year history of working to change the social narratives of our young Latinas and Latinos to help them envision a new America, a new Latino community, a new direction, and a different kind of culture. We want our young people to be inspired by who they are and see the asset value of our culture and these 800 million people in this vast amount of land that starts all the way in Canada and goes all the way to the tip of Argentina. Our hope for an alum is that, A, that they have the mindset of giving back to their community, that they want to help, they want to contribute, and B, is that they realize this throughout their entire lives and make leadership part of their overall journey throughout their whole life. The National Hispanic Institute has been part of my life for as long as I can remember. It has literally educated and re-educated an entire generation or two now of young Latinos and their allies around the country, around the world, to think about our community and think about our role in the community as being change agents and ultimately in advancing the cause and the needs of our community. Personally, the National Hispanic Institute has helped me reach goals and do things that I didn't think I was gonna be able to do before. And so what we did was create these learning experiences where young people could learn to be in charge of things. We just encourage people to go way beyond a career in life. We want to see them have a community calling. NHI is a place where I come and I have to learn how do I pass on values. And then the benefit of that self-belief that it's possible, things are possible for all of us and that we can contribute to the success of others. We look at the richness of our community at its value, at its capacities, and we go from that point forward. We don't want our young people to look at themselves and their communities and look down. We want them to look up and be inspired. And now back to the conversation. Let let me take this conversation in a different direction. Is that how we teach kids in the classroom? And the reason I'm raising that question, I'm going to give you some little bit of time to think about it, is that one, one thought behind coaching is that you know that you're on the sideline and you're not playing the game. They are. You're not executing the strategy. They are. That's not the way we teach in the classroom. What's, what's the difference in coaching 
and teaching and your view? I, I, you know, I think, I think that, well, absolutely what you just said. I mean, first and foremost is, is, is this is their game and they're going to take the team in the direction that they want to take it. And no matter how bad I want our team to be successful, uh, ultimately, if they don't believe in themselves and in their team, they're not going to be successful. Um, teachers want a lot of control. Uh, they think they control the outcome of that classroom and how, um, if their class is going to be satisfactory level or if they're going to, you know, be at a, oh, we tested at a 93%. And, and so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of hands on where teachers want to be on the driver's seat to ensure that that 93% happens. Um, unfortunately, with a lot of that comes a lot of memorization, regurgitation, um, a lot of different type of motivation uh, that happens to kids. I don't know if it's the word is motivation um, as much as sometimes it's threats. And, and, and if you don't do it, you'll fail. And if you don't do this, bad things will happen to you. On the football field, it's, it's very different. And, and, uh, and I think the most important thing that I've learned in coaching is that um, you have to believe in in kids and and sometimes i i mean i hear teachers all the time um oh that's a bad kid or you know you got to be careful with that kid that kid's going to give you problems and and i don't know uh if if the classroom is a setting where people uh ultimately just believe in you uh, I think that's the greatest gift that coaches give their athletes is that they always envision them as something bigger and better than they are and bigger and better than the kid can even dream or imagine. And that's where kids come back with experiences and say, man, my, co- my coach pushed me so hard. I didn't, I never thought I could do it. And I did it, you know, and, and so coaches have that ultimate passion of believing in their kids and and that's been kind of my driving force and, and something that, that I definitely use in my coaching uh, life. And it's it's definitely in my toolbox is that I believe in every single kid I have, un- like this unconditional uh, belief and unconditional love, knowing that they can become people that they don't even realize they can become yet. Well, you know, I've watched I've watched the Shangjo program go from being this little small Catholic school down at the tip of Texas to become a well, well-respected and known program. It's no longer a school. It's a program. And I'm wondering why, why that program at the end of the day has succeeded to where, where it seems to me like you've created a, a process. And, and just listening to you, you're telling me very significant difference of believing, providing them with a journey uh, more than anything else. Uh, instill in them sense of pride and get in from them the feedback of commitment to the task, uh, the fortitude to get up from the sense of loss. Why don't we have those similar dynamics in the classroom? Why, why, are, why, do, we, why do we teach and not coach? And could we coach more than we teach? Because at the end of the day, I, that kid is going to leave, I think gonna leave the classroom. I think it's fear. I think it's fear that that uh, teachers have of letting go. I think it's a fear that there's going to be chaos and disruption, 
and that uh, kids are not going to really get anything out of their class. Um, and so they have this real big fear of being really hands-on. Uh, I learned I had to learn that through the NHI experience. I mean, I felt that for a great portion of my life as project administrator, uh, you know, as much as I could talk the talk, I wouldn't walk the walk. You know, I I was very, very hands-on in the training experiences and things uh, that I wanted kids to have. And and I completely lost sight of the fact that uh, back in the 90s, uh, a lady by the name of Silvia Garcia believed in me. And she gave me an opportunity to 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 make some mistakes and um and to find my leadership capabilities and and uh and I wasn't giving that opportunity to our kids and it, and it has been it's been very recent i mean I, the last 3 or 4 years have been a big big uh, big change in my life and how i approach our local project here and uh it, i think it's fear and i think teachers have that fear that something's going to go wrong or kids aren't going to get anything out of it and i can tell you that the last 3 or 4 years that i've learned to let go and to be more of a coach and to be more of somebody who comes in and inspires and motivates and challenges um and doesn't dictate and doesn't uh you know uh enforce and uh these have been some of the greatest years for our local great debate region and i'm not talking about winning or losing just the kind of quality of kid that comes out of this uh, out of tip of texas and uh and and that staffs other programs and they they really represent uh really what what uh, what leadership to me is all about and and I'm very proud of that. You know, I, I listened to colleges and universities the other day. I won't I won't mention the university because it's not important. But it used to be that that years ago, if you wanted to talk about the poorest parts of the region you would talk about of the nation, should I say you would talk about the Rio Grande Valley or Laredo, South Texas. And the other day I called a selective university and I said, I asked them, where do they get most of their students today? And they said, South Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, and El Paso. And that wasn't the image, Tino, that used to be there. That was probably the area which you would get the most at risk. What is going on in the valley that's being transformed into a, an intellectual gold mine? where even the best universities are now saying, whenever we recruit, we have to go to the Texas Rio Grande Valley. What do you think is going on in your neck of the woods that's altering its self-image and altering the the performance of our young people to standards never before seen in their development? Well, you know, uh, that's 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 a great question for, I'm gonna try to answer it on the spot. Uh, I, I, I can honestly tell you that here down in the, in, in the Valley for me, uh, there, there was always a sense of competition and the competition was a different game. It was about who can attain power in the school board and who can appoint, uh, friends and, and family members and, and compadres or comadres into positions of power and and that power struggle and it still exists um today but i think that that it exists a lot less and the reason for it is that some school districts i mean los fresnos uh here in in cameron county i think to me is one of the is one of the trendsetters and they're the ones that keep the pace here 
Um, they do such a great job in their independent school district, and the board members uh, at that in that school district. I'm sure there's politics like in anywhere else, but they 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 really have gone out of the box, and the superintendents and their head football coaches and athletic coordinators and assistant superintendents and principals are people that they've brought in. They're not related to anyone down here. They're not connected to people. And all of a sudden, Los Fresnos is kind of the pace setter of of of, of what a an educational system looks like. And and that kind of I think you know ten years. I'm talking ten years ago, fifteen right. years ago. And now you're talking about other school districts that um, they want to be part of the bragging rights. They they want to be known as the best school district, and so um, there's a lot more pressure on these boards to bring in highly qualified individuals who can who can come in and lead and motivate and inspire their their principals and their staff, and uh, and so you know I, I would attribute it to to kind of that that level of competition uh, more than the competition of hiring their compadres and comadres. <laughs> I think it's now, I want I want a top-notch uh, ISD if I'm going to be a board member. I want to hire the best superintendent, and I want to give our, our kids a real good opportunity. Uh, also, and the and the second thing, and the reason that I believe that, that this is here, is there's competition now. You know, the idea of public schools are booming in the Valley, and school districts can no longer just say, well, um, everyone that grows up here is just going to come to my school. Some of these school districts are getting slashed their budgets by millions of dollars because kids are now choosing now, to go to a charter school. Right. And yeah, they're now going to a charter school and they have an option uh, to go somewhere and not attend the ISD. And so the ISDs are really hurting financially, um, not in a bad way, but the abundant amount of, of of the surplus of budget that they had now all of a sudden when they slash you a couple million dollars here and there um, you start you know you start immediately trying to figure out well how do we get ahead of that competition because idea idea brags that they send every kid to college and right. some of our independent school districts can't brag about that so now the you know the 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 competition has also created a real good learning environment down here. You, uh, I want to do a little more of a personal reflection with you. You've been, you annually go to the great debate, and you're annually uh, one of the competing teams that uh, at one time uh, we never thought of the valley as winning the great debate for high school freshmen, and now it's the expectation that either you or the Rio Grande Valley there in McAllen that team wins it or tip of Texas wins it. And some people go around wearing rings as far as I can remember and flashing those championship <laughs> rings around. I think, I, I think it's great. Other people would disagree with me, but uh, we're not talking football. You've been successful now coaching kids and leadership. Is it the same dynamic in your view? Yes. I think coaching I think coaching football, it, I mean, you know, it's obviously a game, um, but but real coaching isn't about the game. It's about uh, it's about the person. It's about reaching in and 
and figuring out a way for them to allow you into their their heart and soul and and for you to be able to gain that type of trust and confidence i mean the po- the coaches have a big power and that power could be used very positively or very negatively and that's why the coaching profession right now is is a very very delicate one because some people abuse that power and and some people um uh, you know they're just some of the greatest influences in in young people's lives and and coaching the great debate um is i i find it very similar the only difference here is that you're not just talking about the soul the heart and soul you're talking about the heart soul and the mind uh you it's it's a total package now to coaching the great debate you're asking serious questions because you're ask, you're asking a kid not just about their transformative experience for their personal success but now you're talking about um asking them to participate in shaping the life of other people and 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 that is to me 10 times more exciting and uh but but as far as the approach i think they're very similar do you believe that that leadership or i shouldn't ask you a close-minded question how do you feel about leadership being integral to the experience of the student beyond the classroom beyond extracurricular activities even beyond athletics how do you feel about the function of leadership training in the lives of young children? Ultra, ultra important, imperative. It should be part of every single kid's life. Um, I've been very fortunate um, the last couple of years to be appointed by by our commission and the mayor to serve on a couple of city uh, boards. Um, and and I've had the honor of serving with, with some amazing people. And I've had also the opportunity to to witness that we have some amazing people that have great credentials and they've been very successful in their life but they really lack a leadership component and and when entrusted with uh with big time decisions for your local community i don't think that that we have enough trained equipped ready to lead individuals here in our city of Brownsville, most definitely. But I, I see that um, all you have to do is turn on the news and you can see that that, that lacks uh, nationally and at a statewide level as well. Yeah, they begin to kind of uh, drown out a little bit and may not be as familiar with the protocols, may not be as familiar with the governance aspect of their development, may not be as familiar with the communication or, abilities. Or, or, or the biggest, the biggest real issue, uh, Ernesto, that I've seen honestly lately is that it's really difficult for people to see things from a thirty thousand uh, foot view, and every, they just see it from a ground level view, very operations, very micromanaging, and and they're not, they've never been taught to explore and to imagine and to look at things from from Thirty thousand feet up in the air, figuring out um, how, like, looking at things from up there. What's the direction we're headed? You know, uh, do we want that direction? Should we alter and shift that direction? If we do, how can we do that? What components do we need to work on? Um, how do we bring people together? Uh, looking at things from that macro, big perspective, there's a big, big, big disconnect right there in the leadership and what I have seen. I, I need and, to, uh, and 
Go ahead. Uh, well, I needed to ask you, it's a great analogy, the 30,000 feet up. And, I, and the minute you said that, it brought to me a thought that a lot of you, and you especially uh, included, uh, have flown to various places to go manage and direct NHI experiences. And yeah, you are flying at 30,000 feet, flying to Chicago or to New York, or California. And you know that over the next eight days or so, you're going to have major, if not total, influence on the lives of a couple hundred kids. And you have to imagine, what is it, what's going to be the takeaway? What's going to be the lessons? And how do I transmit the whole idea of collaborative leadership versus authority leadership? What, what does all this mean? Uh, how, do, do, do those thoughts cross your mind? I've never been in your position to do that. I've always been the director of something, but never to go spend a whole week uh, outside of the earlier days with NHI. How does that... For how, sure. How, how, I mean... Go ahead. For sure. Anytime, any, I mean, anytime that you're... That, I mean, I, I ask myself that question every weekend. Every weekend, um, you know, currently we're working with close to 80 freshmen here every weekend. And um, anytime you come in contact with a young person, like I said, I mean, the power of coaching is just phenomenal. Um, you can let it go to waste, you could misuse it, or it could be a life-changing time and an opportunity. And, and, and asking yourself those type of questions are, are imperative if you're going to utilize the time that you have in that window to be some type of influence in the life of a young person. Um, you can't just do it off the cuff. You can't just show up and, you know, Kids are so smart uh, nowadays, and they know when, when, when you're just up there and you're winging it, and they know when you actually have prepared your thoughts, and they also know when there's a sincerity and there's a true passion and a true love behind your message. And any time that I get on a plane to go be an education director, uh, the only thing on my mind is there's going to be 180 to 200 students um, those students for me are easier than the 30 staff members that we're going to have because some of these kids are now older. They've had different experiences. They go to different colleges and universities. They have different outlooks of the world. Some of them um, are already set in stone. At least they believe that this is how they view the world. This is how they view leadership. And the real challenge becomes uh, how, how, how can we start the discussion of that collaborative leadership? How can we start the discussion of being able to analyze and critically look at challenges or, or opportunities in this world and, and how we can maximize uh, our role in, in, in fostering uh, some sort of change, uh, being part of the change, because the world's going to change with or without us, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and I always tell kids, like, the world's going to change with or without us. Do you want to play a role in it? I mean, I do. Uh, I definitely do. And I want to be prepared so that when, when, when it's my time to speak, uh, people value my opinion. I was, gonna, I was thinking about you the other day for a very specific reason. I was imagining you in Chicago one day and you and I were very concerned about this squeaky little voice that we couldn't understand. And we were sitting on a couch, and I said, who in the hell is that with that squeaky little voice? And it was Alex Ocasio. 
And I remember, <laughs> I remember you going over there and pulling her out of the audience, at least while she, where she was talking, at least three or four times. And every time I'd see her little head dragging, and, and you were coaching her in her role as Secretary of State. And today, Tino, she has a strong chance of becoming a U.S. Congresswoman. And I wanted to get your thoughts on your, I know you have a long-term friendship with her, but what the possibilities have become. You know, it's, I've been following Alexandria and her campaign. I'm obviously, like anyone else, can say that I'm extremely proud. I think that she's more than capable. Uh, she's been an outstanding, outstanding person, leader, woman, um, Latina, since the first day I met her. Um, she, she definitely, is, she definitely is going to have an opportunity to impact the life of a lot of people in that, uh, New York district 14. And, uh, you know, what, what an honor it's been to know that I'm a part of an organization where there's a lot of, a lot of individuals, male and female, uh, in the state of Texas or outside of the state of Texas that have the courage to, to put their thoughts and ideas out there, uh, put, put some money behind themselves, put a lot of time, effort, passion, and energy, um, behind the fact that, that they're betting that, like I said, the world's going to change, but they want to be the change agent. And they, they're betting on themselves and they're betting on, on their ideas. And that to me is ultimately the most rewarding part of being a part of NHI is watching people that, um, they, 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 they basically invest and they tell people, you know, you can bet on me. You can bet on me because I'm, I, I, I really am going to be someone who can influence and impact change and do it collaboratively and do it with a vision and do it in a way that can inspire and that can motivate. You know, I, I was thinking yesterday, as you well know, on the national news, we've had this awful event of bombs in Austin. And people have been killed. And I was visiting with a friend of mine the other day about what happens when people don't have a leadership vision in their lives. And I was explaining to a superintendent in Seguin, Texas today, this morning at 8 o'clock, 8.30, and saying to him that young people who are not exposed to leadership are, as a result, unable to navigate community life in ways that bring about change, hope, and vision. And that by not allowing them to have these early leadership experiences that allows them to succeed and to struggle with concept and concepts and to articulate ideas and to test out their ideas and to do it collaboratively with peers allows them to learn to navigate community life. And we are so, so uh, driven by the notion of jobs and job readiness and careers and undergraduate studies and all those things that give title and personal importance to the extent that once out into life and in society, we just don't bring the background or the skills or the concepts or the framework to manage ourselves beyond our careers. I wanted to get some closing comments on your part 
on how you feel about that because you're in that work every day through the freshman you work with as a volunteer, as a project administrator in Brownsville, but you've also worked with us and you continue to work with us on a national and even international scale. Could you give some final thoughts to that? I'm just going to go back on my final thoughts and say that, you know, the, the leadership experience and your ability to work your mind and the ability for you to imagine and to dream and create, um, that's not exercised every day at school. That's something that's exercised every single day at any NHI venue, any NHI reunion, any NHI program or training session. Um, that, that, that is a fact and that is, um, the most important part of the development of a, of a young uh, boy or girl. Now, um, and an adult like me, you know, like these kids challenge me more than I think I can challenge them. But, um, but, I, but I also am going to just go back to the bare bones of, of this, is that every single person that I've met in NHI uh, since I was 14 years old until today, they, they have that, that one common theme and one common goal in their life and that is everyone wants everyone wants to change the world <laughs> everyone everyone i've that. met is ultra competitive and and that's been that's fantastic because usually if you open a conversation like that anywhere you can be ridiculed mocked at uh, nhi is a place for me where you're encouraged to dream, to innovate, to create. You're you're encouraged to to kind of push ideas forward, and 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 it goes back down to my coaching roots and principles, is that you're just surrounded with a bunch of people who, at the end of the day, give you the greatest gift that any human being can give each other, and that's the gift of believing in each other, and 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 the gift of belief of of belief and believing in other people is more important than you can believe. And I, I have all the shootings and, and the bombings and, and all these tragedies that are happening with the youth of our country. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, I'm not, you know, someone who can sit here and give you the reason, rhyme or reason, but I'm a person who's worked with youth for over 20 years. I'm a person who's worked with close to 25,000 people. And I can tell you that if you have someone in your life that believes in you, if you have someone in your life that loves you and cares about you and just really believes in you at the end of the day, you're probably not going to be one of those people on TV doing some of those disastrous things that are very shameful and hurtful to our nation. Thank you, Tino. This has been an enjoyable visit as always. We love you deeply. You know that. I was going to remind you that this year, when the clock strikes July 20th, uh, 2018, <laughs> NHI will turn 39, and next year at this time, we will be officially 40 years old. So that journey has been a long well, and an amazing journey. Well, let amazing. me tell you, thank thank you very much. Um, you know, I know that you're, you're a very simple, humble individual that doesn't like the limelight and credibility and things like that and, and all that good stuff, but... Um, um, You've created a great opportunity and, and a great place and a forum for young people like me to grow up and, and to, you know, really search and, and, and solidify our values and beliefs and, 
and to ask ourselves some tough questions at, at a young age that really gives us some really strong roots and allows us to grow up and be really strong individuals. And I can't ever thank you enough for that. Um, I, I've, it's been, it's been, uh, amazing ride. It's, it's an amazing ride that we're still on and it's 39 years for NHI and this summer it'll be 25 years for tip of Texas. Yes. And, uh, and so it's our 25th anniversary this summer. And, uh, it's the silver anniversary, man. There's no better way than for Tip of Texas to win the Silver Cup. <laughs> you had to say that, and I will return the favor by <laughs> reminding you that I'll call Nick and just tell him that you cratered with a 78 golf score, that you don't really want to play him. And uh, we'll see each other in the future. We'll see each other this summer. Dino, thank you very much for your time. We'll, we're thank signing you. out. Okay, goodbye, guy. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Tino. Tercera realidad, mi libertad. Mi tercera realidad no es vanidad. Un mundo mío es mi sueño. Un lugar feliz donde yo soy dueño. Donde yo soy rey, el encargado. Rey de mi vida. For more information on the National Hispanic Institute, please visit our website www.nationalhispanicinstitute.org Call us at 512-357-6137 Find us on Facebook at NHIHQ or on Twitter NHI underscore news and at Instagram and Snapchat NHI underscore news Thank you to Union Pacific for their generous support as a sponsor of the NHI Podcast Network.